This is episode number 289, Understanding Imposter Syndrome and How to Deal with It. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. Being better every day first starts with getting to know yourself. And that is why a lot of these podcast episodes are about the mental side of life, the emotional side of life, and how to improve that relationship with yourself. Working on my inner life has been highly beneficial in a number of ways, and it's my passion. And it's my passion to continue this process of learning and to keep bringing information that I learned to you. But before we get into it, I want to tell you about today's podcast sponsor. Most of us take some kind of multivitamin of some kind to ensure that we are covering all of our bases. And some of us take a multivitamin and a bunch of other supplements on top of that to make sure that we're getting vitamin D, make sure we're getting vitamin B12, and a lot of other things. And that's where I discovered the company Athletic Greens and their supplement AG1. You've probably heard of Athletic Greens and their supplement AG1. And I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to consolidate all of these vitamins and minerals and more into just one scoop of something that I could drink really quick in the morning or even after a training ride. AG1 has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that are, again, highly absorbable. And that is something that I always think about whenever I'm taking a vitamin. And also they are NSF certified for sport. So if you are somebody like me that gets drug tested and is concerned about contamination and supplements, they have been NSF certified. And aside from the health benefits that you get from taking AG1, Athletic Greens is a climate neutral certified company. That means they are a fully carbon neutral business and they also use third party testing to ensure quality of their products. If this is piquing your interest and you want to give it a try, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Sonia, and that will be in the show notes. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Sonia to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now let's get back to today's topic of imposter syndrome. Some of these solo episodes are experimented with in my newsletter, which comes out every single Monday at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. And this one I wrote about a few weeks ago. And the newsletter is such a great opportunity because I get to explore a topic. And sometimes I write about things I'm really familiar with, but most of the time I'm doing new research so that I get to learn more. And I got to learn a lot more about imposter syndrome. It's something that I personally experience regularly, and I know that a lot of people do. In fact, 70% of people and possibly even more experience imposter syndrome. So you've probably heard of it, you've probably felt it, but it happens when we discount our ability in certain area or areas, despite obvious evidence to the contrary. So let me give you a personal example. I've been world champion, which still feels, I feel my like insides kind of get uncomfortable whenever I say that because I feel like an imposter. I've won major races around the world. I've been US national champion four times. I have been a paid professional athlete since 2014. And yet... I still do not feel like I am a quote, real pro. And that might come as a surprise to a lot of you, but I truly feel like an imposter when it comes to being a professional athlete. Imposter syndrome shows up in many areas of our lives. It could be at work. It could be even recording this podcast about imposter syndrome. I'm not a psychologist or researcher, so sometimes I get imposter syndrome around that. 
A lot of times when we're experiencing imposter syndrome, we think that we just got lucky for some of our successes or we're worried that someone is going to find out that we aren't the real thing. I know that with my public speaking, I sometimes feel this way, even though I have been professionally speaking for quite a long time. I've done a TED Talk. I've spoken on some pretty large stages. And I still think that they're going to find out that I'm not the real thing, even though all evidence is to the contrary. Even admitting my imposter syndrome makes it flare up because I feel like, see, now they're really going to think it because I'm admitting it. Imposter syndrome can be paralyzing and prevent us from going after our goals and dreams. A big question people ask me is like, how did you become a pro mountain biker? How did you become a speaker? How did you start a podcast? How did you become a writer? And a lot of times we won't even start because we think, well, I'm, I'm not those things. But you have to get started in order to build the skills. So all of those things, I just got started. And of course, I felt those feelings of imposter syndrome. They still propagate through what I do every single day. But imposter syndrome isn't about not having it. It's about noticing it and being able to name it and then being able to deal with it. It is something that high achieving people, especially women, feel. And it is not uncommon at all. So if you feel this way, you are not alone. And I don't think that there's a way to ever make it totally go away or get rid of it. But there are some tools that you can use and access that have research behind them to help you manage it because it's going to come and go. Imposter syndrome was first defined by Clance and Imes and is loosely defined as, quote, having a persistent belief in the lack of one's intelligence, competence, or skills. And again, people feel like they are unworthy of their success. They think, well, if I was actually ready for this, then I wouldn't feel this way. Confident people don't feel insecure. And they think that their feelings about how competent they feel is a sign that they shouldn't be doing the thing. Young is an internationally recognized expert on imposter syndrome and author of the book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It. And I will take a second. I heard her say on a podcast that she actually hates the title of the book because she doesn't want to select this only for women, but she didn't get a choice with the book. So if you heard that title and you're a man, don't worry, there's a lot in here for you. And men are about 50% likely to experience imposter syndrome where with women it's 70%. So it's the majority of people that are experiencing this. A lot of the information that you're going to hear from me today comes directly from her book. So if you found this interesting, I encourage you to pick up her book. So according to Valerie Young, there are five types of imposters. First is the perfectionist. The perfectionist's primary focus on how something is done, including how the work is conducted and how it turns out. And one minor flaw in a seller performance or even a 99 out of 100 equals failure and shame. And shame is a key component in imposter syndrome. A lot of people with imposter syndrome will feel shame whenever they don't succeed or even whenever they feel like they are negating their accomplishments. Next is the expert. The expert is the knowledge version of the perfectionist. Here, the primary concern is on the what and how much you know or can do. Because you expect yourself to know everything, even a minor lack of knowledge for you might denote failure and shame. And you might be paralyzed by just working and working and working and overworking and never actually moving forward because you feel like you never have enough knowledge. The soloist cares about who completes the task. So they want to feel like they did everything on their own to make it on the achievement list. It has to be done by them alone. So if they received help from somebody else, they feel like that it invalidates what they know or what they have done. Needing help is a sign of failure that evokes shame for this type. 
The natural genius is a how and when accomplishment person as well. So they measure competence based on how easy and how quickly they were able to do something. And this is sort of correlated with that growth versus fixed mindset person. But the fact that you have to struggle to master a subject or skill or that you're not able to bang out something really quickly on your first try equals failure and evokes shame. And last is the superman, superwoman, super student person, and they measure their competence based on how many roles they can juggle and excel in. So they think that they should be perfect at everything and excelling at everything that they're doing, falling short in any role, whether it's as a parent, a romantic partner, at work, as a friend, all evoke shame because they feel they should be able to hand it all perfectly and easily. It's impossible to excel at every single element of your life simultaneously. And that is why whenever I like talking about balance, I like to say intentional imbalance, because again, balance implies that you're doing well at everything all at once. But intentional imbalance can also be applied to imposter syndrome so that you can be focused on one thing and be really good at one thing. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be really good at everything at every given moment. Something else to note is that the more achievement that we have in our lives or the more accolades we have the higher the prevalence of imposter syndrome. So you will see or read about people that have the highest level of success, like actors in writing, in in research, in PhDs, in, in sports. This might come as a surprise because you might look at somebody who has achieved all of these things and think, well, that's the person that I'm comparing myself to. That's the person that has everything figured out. But the bar is raised so high that we expect even more out of ourselves and we think that others expect us to know more as well. So if you are a high achiever and you feel this way, you're definitely not alone. Also, many of us experience little bits of all of these. So it's not just one or another. And for those of you who hate being put into a category or into a box or archetype, everyone experiences at least some of these categories. Personally, I succumb to the expert and the superwoman. I feel like I should be doing well at everything at all times. So I have to remind myself, again, that intentional imbalance piece. And the expert part is something that I really fall prey to. Even for this podcast, I felt like I had to keep researching and studying and studying and studying. And it is now Wednesday night and this podcast comes out tomorrow morning. And the deadline of this podcast coming out tomorrow is what actually stopped me from continuing the cycle of doing more and more research on this topic so that I could, quote, feel like an expert enough to talk about it. And I'm certainly not an expert in this topic, but I have spent several hours now reading about it and looking through books. So I'm more of an expert than I was when I started. And along the lines with the expert, I feel like I should have a PhD in every single subject. And if I don't, then I'm not qualified enough to talk about that. And I know that all of this isn't true. A lot of New York Times bestsellers, a lot of coaches, a lot of thought leaders aren't a PhD. But I feel like because I don't have that, I'm not an expert enough. And even people that have PhDs and have written multiple books on a topic will still feel this way too. So just being able to recognize what type you might be or what your tendency might be and where failure and shame arises or what even causes procrastination or overworking or even false starts or no starts at all can be really powerful in getting over or accepting your imposter syndrome so that you can move forward in spite of it. Something that I thought was really interesting in Valerie Young's book was some reasons why we feel like imposters. Where does this come from? And she had a few different examples, and I'll read them off to you. 
and I'll explain them to you as well. One is family expectations and messaging. So an example of somebody who has the perfectionist type would be they grew up in a family where their accomplishments were never good enough. There's always something that just had to be perfect. And they grew up thinking that if they weren't perfect at something, then they weren't lovable. And I actually started in this category, the perfectionist category, and that was an environment that I was raised in. And of course, every parent is doing their best. And I did do well in that situation. But it's something that I've been having to untangle for years after that. And many of us have had a certain message or a certain expectation from our family. It doesn't have to be a perfectionist tendency or type. But recognizing what expectations were, how you met or did not meet them and how those made you feel, and then looking in your life right now and how those might be showing up and limiting you could give you a lot of insight. Next is being a student. Being a student is hard. And a lot of times we are judged or graded based on things like SAT scores in high school or our grades or what college we go to. And that can cause a lot of imposter syndrome. Working in an organizational culture that feeds self-doubt is another way that can grow imposter syndrome in your career. And that would be working in a culture that doesn't allow you to ask for help or where you feel like you can't ask for help or where you feel like you can't be vulnerable or where you feel like you can't even express your ideas at work. And leadership and having a great work environment tends to be a place where you can ask for help, where you can be vulnerable, where you are allowed to make mistakes without worrying about severe consequences. Another place that can grow imposter syndrome is working alone. And this is a, a space that I am in. I have no feedback, no boss, no performance standards, no one to bounce ideas off of. And certainly I can reach out to friends or people to do that. But it's a really different environment when you are more of a solopreneur or somebody that does creative work on your own, where you're not working in a team. And speaking of creative work, working in a creative field is another place that harbors imposter syndrome because you feel like you're only as good as your last act or your last piece. And this also applies to athletes. So a lot of the actors and creatives that were quoted in Valerie Young's book were people that you would be really surprised. People like Mike Myers, people like Sheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook. You feel like you're only as valid as your last act. And even your last act you might be saying, well, that wasn't good enough for XYZ reason, even though it actually was. And last, she uses the terminology being or feeling like a stranger in a strange land. That can mean when you look around you, you don't see other people that look like you. And this also applies to people of color. It applies to gender. And it can be really lonely at the top because of this. And there's a lot of pressure to be everything whenever you look around and you don't see anybody else like you because you feel that the weight of the people or peoples that you are representing in your community or even in marginalized communities rests on your shoulders. So that is a lot of pressure. There's a quote in Dr. Young's book, Claire Booth Luce once remarked, because I am a woman, I must make unusual efforts to succeed. If I fail, no one will say she doesn't have what it takes. They will say women don't have what it takes. I'll talk more about cultural stereotypes and biases in a minute. So what can we do here? I started with telling you about imposter syndrome, where it came from, what it looks like, the five types of imposters, and maybe you can identify with one or some of those, and other reasons why we might feel like imposters in the environment that we are in. So there are some research-backed tools that can help you manage imposter syndrome. 
Number one, develop awareness around imposter syndrome and the resulting self-talk that comes with it. So first, the awareness that you are experiencing at all and normalizing the fact that you are feeling inadequate is important. Simply naming it can take the wind out of its sails. Many of us feel alone and we think that we are the only one that feels this way. And in fact, many people feel this way. As I mentioned, the majority of people feel this way and especially feel this way as we achieve more success. So as you become aware that you feel this way, learn to question it. Ask yourself, is it true? And look for evidence to the contrary. I heard a well-established author say they did not feel like a real author. The facts are that they had published multiple books. They had been New York Times bestseller and they still felt like they were an imposter. So once you weigh the evidence, you'll probably notice that objectively on paper, you are not an imposter. And if you took your name out of there and you thought that that was a different person, you would say, of course, that person is qualified. Of course, that person knows what they're talking about. But because it's you, it's really hard to separate that. So number two, our self-talk dictates our experience. We have to learn to think differently about our thoughts or reframe them. And that doesn't mean lying to yourself, but it means just being aware of them and then asking, is there a different truth I can tell myself? You might've heard my podcast I recorded with self-talk expert Ethan Cross and his book Chatter. And if you haven't picked up that book, I highly recommend it. Self-talk is another big topic in my mental performance coaching and in my Mindset Academy, the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy. It's also a big part of becoming more of a positive thinker and having more of a positive lens or even a, a lens of gratitude in life. The story that we tell ourselves is a really important story. So if you're constantly telling yourself that you're not good enough or that your success was a fluke, you are reinforcing your own imposter syndrome. So what else can you say? How are you viewing your competence, failures, and fears? And can you reframe them to something different and more productive and also something that's true? Because having credible self-talk is very important. If you can expect that you won't know all the answers and that mistakes and failures are an opportunity to learn and grow and that those are the path instead of proof that you aren't good enough or that you're off the path, then it really helps work on those feelings and it comes with an acceptance piece. Number three, watch out for comparison. Who are you comparing yourself to? Because a lot of times you might feel confident or you might feel good about your success until you open social media or you hear a story of somebody else that you view as more competent or better than you. And because they achieved it, well, now you feel like your achievement means nothing or that you aren't good enough. What situations are triggering imposter syndrome? And it might surprise you that the person or people you're comparing yourself to probably also experience imposter syndrome. Hearing or seeing someone we admire or even having the feeling of envy can cause us to project our own insecurities. We can project in an unhelpful way, telling ourselves that that person doesn't have our insecurities, challenges, or that it's easier for them. By doing that, we're isolating ourselves. Again, we feel like I'm the only one that feels this way. And that's not the case. Also, if you feel like an imposter because of comparison, realize that if you achieve something, it still will probably never be enough because you'll just keep moving the bar. Having a go-to saying or mantra can also be helpful when you notice these thoughts of imposter syndrome popping up. Another quick caveat that I've noticed about myself and I'm ashamed to admit is that I tend to judge others more harshly where I personally have imposter syndrome and insecurities. I project my imposter syndrome on somebody else's accomplishments and sometimes catch myself saying they don't deserve it for a reason that I think I might not deserve it. And that is not a nice place to be. And being aware of that has been something that's been really helpful for me. And that can give you or me or anybody insight into other areas or times where you personally feel like an imposter that you may have had a difficult time even identifying. Our own securities are often displayed in our harshest judgments of others. Next, regularly review your successes. 
With my mental performance and health coaching clients, they often write down daily wins or have some kind of prompt to continuously remind themselves of the proof that they are good enough and are actually qualified for what they are doing. You may have heard me talk about self-efficacy, and that is very much tied to confidence. And that is looking at past positive or past successes that help build your confidence that are a roadmap to proving to yourself that you are good enough. And Albert Bandura is the guy that you want to look up if you are interested in self-efficacy. But maybe you're just starting a new journey and you don't have past proof that you are good enough or that you are successful. Well, that's okay too, because that is how you get started. And once you start moving in a forward direction, you can still celebrate those small wins. And you can also be excited about the things that you didn't win, because you're going to learn way more from the things that didn't go well, from the things that went perfectly well. Sometimes that even doesn't work. You don't believe your own voice or your own thoughts, or even the list of things that you've done that prove otherwise. Having a couple people close to you who can help you objectively see that you are the real deal without being too much of a cheerleader, but as a real person that is going to be straight up with you can also really help. Getting back to having that credible self-talk is key too. If you don't believe in your self-talk, then a confidence journal may not actually work. That's why keeping track of tangible successes, no matter how small they are, can help build credible self-talk. That said, I don't think lacking confidence and imposter syndrome are the same thing. You only gain confidence by taking a risk, owning the success that happens, and then learning from the mistakes instead of letting them define you. Owning the success is one of the keys for imposter syndrome, being able to celebrate those successes too. Two more, adopt a non-imposter mindset. And this is something that Valerie Young talks about a lot. She says, how would a non-imposter think? If someone was worthy or competent of a role or accomplishment, what would be that proof? And you can ask yourself, I will know that I am competent, smart, or qualified when, or I would look like, or somebody else who is smart, competent, or qualified looks like this. And if you can start looking at that in yourself, then that can help you start identifying a non-imposter mindset. And last, being aware of those cultural stereotypes and biases. If you listen to my podcast episode with Dr. Kristen Neff on fear self-compassion, you may have learned that there has been cultural socialization for women to downplay achievements or not acknowledge them at all. Dr. Neff goes so far as to say that especially for women, outwardly confident women can potentially not be liked for displaying such confidence. A quote from the author and columnist Lois Wise said, men are taught to apologize for their weaknesses and women for their strengths. There may be some pre-programmed limitations we have put on ourselves to feel uncomfortable and even dismiss and reject our success because it's, quote, not socially acceptable. Dr. Young's work says that this is especially true for groups with stereotypes around confidence, and this goes for gender, people who are not physically abled, and people of color. She also talks about why we reject success in our own lives, and here are a few reasons. Number one, we worry that if we win, someone else loses. It becomes this dual binary situation where it's either or, and it's usually and. If we win, somebody else can win too. We also think things like, well, if I win at this or if I do well at this and I'm going to be isolated, and that kind of goes back to being a stranger in a strange land and being lonely at the top because you don't see other people like you. We also think if I'm successful at something, I'll lose connection with my friends and family and people won't be able to relate to me. And that does actually happen sometimes. I've had that happen in my life and it really sucked. And we also will think, well, people won't like me if I'm successful. So we'll downplay our achievements. I know for myself, I hate telling people about my educational background. Um, I'll just as an exercise tell you, and you are probably already know, but I have my master's degree in electrical engineering, which 
it shouldn't sound like that big of a deal, but people make a big deal of it whenever I tell that to them. And I don't like that because I feel like they're downplaying themselves or that they feel like they're not smart enough because I have that. And that is just my imposter syndrome and rejection of my own success. It's not either or. Noticing where you are intentionally not telling somebody about your successes or about things that you've accomplished because of some of these reasons we reject success can give you some insight. And also just something that I've thought about is that in our society, we really value humbleness. And if you are telling somebody about your success, then you don't want to come across as being somebody that's bragging or somebody that's arrogant. And I I haven't been able to figure out where the right balance is there of telling people what my successes are, especially when I meet new friends or meet new people, but without being self-effacing. So that's a place that I need to do more work and more reading. So when is imposter syndrome not a problem? And as I mentioned, it is a continuum. It's a sliding scale. A lot of us experience this, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's holding you back or that it's a problem. It might just be more of an acceptance piece and something going on in the background that you're working with. So when is it not a problem? Well, if it's not holding you back from getting started, then it's probably not a problem. It's not a problem when you are able to look at failures or mistakes as an opportunity to learn. It's not a problem when you can actually ask for constructive feedback And also noticing and even accepting some of these feelings of imposter syndrome is perfectly normal. And it's whether you let that hinder you from making progress that makes a difference. And it's whether you feel that shame and that failure around whatever is happening. So again, you're not broken. If you feel this way, this is totally normal. It's a normal experience. It's what you do with that feeling. If if you allow it to stop you or if you allow it to just be something that you accept and move on and work with some of these tools that I mentioned in order to progress. So I hope you learned something today about imposter syndrome, noticing where it might be holding you back in your life, or maybe you're doing great with it. But again, knowing that you're not alone, normalizing it and having some tools to deal with it can be really helpful. If you like information like this, make sure that you check out my newsletter that I send out every single Monday at sanyalooney.com slash newsletter. And also check out the show notes. I spend a lot of time on the show notes for the podcast and it lives on on my website under the blog. And you can always go back and revisit. The solo episodes are written out. So you can actually go back and and just scroll through if you heard something that you want to revisit. And some of my actual podcast episodes with guests have a transcript included as well. Thanks again for rating and reviewing and subscribing to the show and telling your friends about it. If you think that this is going to help others, please pass it on. This is more of a labor of love for sure. And I do it because I find a lot of personal value in it and helping even just one more person every single week makes a huge difference to me. So thank you for those of you to those of you who are sharing the show and passing it on and also for your messages and reviews because they truly mean the world to me. And also thank you to those of you who are supporting my work on Patreon and with your PayPal donations. That also does not go unnoticed. It makes a humongous difference in keeping this show going. And it's been going for almost five years as a weekly show, which is kind of crazy to think. Five years is a long time. And when I first started the podcast, I said, I am committing to doing this for five years. And guess what? I'm planning to continue. I'm not stopping at the five-year mark. Thank you for being here as part of my community and coming back to this show every single week or even every once in a while. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. We'll see you next week.